This is Off Zero, brought to you by LearnBitcoin.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Off Zero, the podcast from the team at LearnBitcoin.io, where any topic is welcome as long as it's Bitcoin. Uh, Learn Bitcoin is the easiest way for anyone who's Bitcoin curious to learn about the ins and outs of Bitcoin. We are a Bitcoin only platform and we also support wealth managers and financial advisors to earn their continuing education credits. Today, I'm super excited. I'm joined by Mike Willis, who is president and co-founder of OneFund LLC, which is launching a set of Cyber Hornet ETFs, which are designed to bridge the gap between Wall Street and Bitcoin. Mike, it's great to have you on with us. Keith, thank you for inviting me. Great to be here. Awesome. So, uh, Mike, as you know, every guest on Learn Bitcoin's uh, Off Zero podcast gets to choose a charity that we donate to on their behalf. And you have chosen Me Premier Bitcoin, which is basically an organization that helps the youth of El Salvador uh, get educated on the basics of Bitcoin as a monetary instrument. So that is really nice. We'll make that donation on your behalf right after this pod. Thank you, Keith. Appreciate that. No problem at all. Let's get straight into it. Uh, I think there are a lot of people listening and watching right now who really don't understand anything about ETFs, right? You got the Bitcoiners on one side who understand self-custody. You've got a lot of the folks who are accessing ETFs on the other side that don't understand self-custody. Can you give us the 101 on what an ETF is and what the novel uh, introduction of the spot Bitcoin ETF has been over the past few months? Sure, sure. ETFs are the most efficient distribution system on Wall Street. So the reason it's so important to give Bitcoin a QSIP is that it allows Bitcoin to be purchased in you know 90 plus percent of all accounts on Wall Street. That's huge for introducing uh, Bitcoin to the re- mass retail adoption and the amount of traction and the speed of the traction that comes into Bitcoin. So an ETF is simply a a mutual fund and a mutual fund is simply a group of stocks managed by a portfolio manager or an index that you can buy in one ticker symbol and they, they manage that particular portfolio for you. You don't have to buy 50 stocks, 20 stocks to create your own portfolio. You can buy one ticker symbol and it could potentially have 50, 100 or 500 companies. For example, the S&P 500 index has the the largest 500 companies as selected by Standard & Poor's. And so with one ticker symbol purchase, you have 500 companies in your portfolio. And an ETF is just like a mutual fund, which only the ETF, the the mutual fund trades once a day. ETFs trade all throughout the day. So you can actually come into the market midday instead of just getting executed at the end of the day with a traditional mutual fund. So that's what an ETF is. And the reason we brought Bitcoin to the ETF structure, even though we all agree cold storage is is uh, and and no trusted third party is, is the whole purpose of this. But to get Main Street into Bitcoin and Wall Street into Bitcoin, we felt we needed a much simpler first step because digital wallets, private public keys, cold storage, no 800 number to call if you send it to the wrong address. All of these are reasons why 
98% of Wall Street is still sitting there and not in Bitcoin, in digital wallets. It's just, it's, it's, a, it's a tougher step for a lot of people to take. Sure, sure, of course. We've all, we've all experienced that and dealt with it. And it's, uh, you know, it's, it's unsettling first few times you, you, you deal with it. Um, here's a question that probably a lot of people have. Who's storing the Bitcoin on behalf of the ETFs? Like, is it the ETF providers themselves? Is it somebody else in the food chain? How does all that actually work? So ETFs can choose their custodian. Predominantly of those first six half dozen to a dozen ETFs, spot Bitcoin ETFs that came into the market, the majority of them are using Coinbase. However, you're allowed to select your custodian. And so I believe that as we move forward, key differentiators on where you custody the Bitcoin assets, how you custody them, and whether or not you loan them out is going to be um, a way that the smaller ETFs can differentiate from the larger ETFs. And we think it's the sweet spot of the market, actually. Mm. It's, it's interesting. When, when I looked at all the spot Bitcoin ETF applications, you know, it looked like a party at Coinbase's house and no one else was invited. I mean, there was, <laughs> as, and then I'm not saying anything about a single point of failure, but, you know, free markets work really, really well when there's variety and, and there's a, you know, a little bit of di- diversification. And certainly with the first instance of these ETFs, I, I haven't seen um, a lot of that. So maybe good for Coinbase, maybe not, but uh, certainly doesn't make me as an investor feel comfortable. We've adequately diversified our our Bitcoin stack within these ETFs. I don't know. Yeah, and I think the ETF companies will start to diversify because think of it this way, if, if Coinbase ever did have a hack, you could potentially affect the, the you know a majority of Wall Street's Bitcoin assets. So there's going to be differentiation here as we move forward. I think to get it through the SEC process to begin with, the SEC wanted to see a big name like Coinbase in there as the custodian. And so I think everyone just copied BlackRock's filing. And they, they wanted to get in on that initial round. And if they had selected a, a different custodian, then perhaps they wouldn't have been greenlighted at the same time that BlackRock and Fidelity uh, got greenlighted. So I think that's what, you, what you're seeing there. And I think it's a good differentiator to bring out because as we move forward, there's a lot of room here um, to, to give some added color to the product and some added benefits to, the pro- to an ETF product. Yeah. So tell us about your Cyber Hornets ETF. I mean, you know, obviously that's made popular by Michael Saylor, who talks about this all the time. Um, tell us how how is your ETF different uh, from from the rest of the pack? You bet. We we chose the Cyber Hornet name uh, because it's become the the mascot of the of the of, of the Bitcoin community. Really, it was a tweet that was pinned by Michael Saylor three years ago. And it stuck pretty well. And uh, we were able to file for that that trademark about nine months ago. So uh, we're excited to be able to... We just think there's a lot of energy around that name. And our goal is to represent the, the Bitcoin community as a Bitcoiner ETF sponsor. 
as opposed to institutions on Wall Street that have a hundred different focuses, we have one focus, and that's Bitcoin. The differentiator at the surface level for our ETFs is that we're using the S&P 500 index to buffer the downside volatility of Bitcoin. So the reason that's a big deal is this. Bitcoin can be down 40% on any given month, and it can be down 50, 60, 70% on any given year. And if you've ever managed assets before, I can tell you if you're down 40%, your clients are calling you. And if you're down 50%, your clients are likely out. And if you're down 60 or 70, it's a potential lawsuit, right? A fiduciary liability, especially to a financial advisor. And we believe that's why they haven't stepped into this space yet. And if you look at the financial advisor space, it's still the gateway to over half the assets on Wall Street. Mm. So even though the Bitcoin revolution is alive and well for the last 15 years outside of Wall Street, it's been virtually non-existent on Wall Street until the BlackRock filing. So the Bitcoin, the Bitcoin era is officially here. You can now, investors can now, traditional investors can now own and buy Bitcoin ETFs. But we think most of them can't handle the volatility of it. And so we think that the, the, this high risk return asset class, it's very attractive because for the last 10 years, it returned 49% annualized. And investors on Wall Street are used to anywhere from 3 to 12%, you know, depending on the asset class. So all of a sudden, you've got a, basically a 50% returning asset class being introduced to Wall Street for the first time. It's very intriguing. There's a lot of Bitcoin curious, to use your, your phrase, investors on Wall Street. However, we also know there's been a lot of negative press on Bitcoin up until the BlackRock filing six months ago. It was a dirty word. You know, you took career risk to talk about Bitcoin if you were an institution. And now you're taking career risks not to have a plan. And, and so we see the wirehouses have come out and said, oh, we're not going to allow the Bitcoin spot ETFs on our platform yet um, until we've looked at this. And of course, that's what they're going to say. They're going to be cautious and they're going to make sure it's OK and safe before their investors come in. These, in our opinion, these wirehouses will all open up as they see um the institutions like Fidelity and BlackRock and Invesco and ARK Funds and all these institutions that are um, putting out Bitcoin ETFs, they're going to realize that there's a demand that they need to, if they want to keep those assets in-house and not have all of that, those funds go around their advisors, they're going to have to to, uh, open up the doors. And they will. Sure. And do you think these wirehouses are, is it just another step in the process to say we need to wait a few months? We need to conduct our due diligence. We need to carefully remove it from the restricted securities uh, list. We need to make sure it passes AML. So that way, after the period of volatility, they feel like they've done their responsibility and diligence and, and it's taken a while, right? They haven't rushed into it. It's, is it like an insurance policy, basically, to take their time and review everything properly? For sure. I think I think the insurance policy is part of it. Due diligence is part of it. I think perception is is part of it. Right. I think when you go to Merrill Lynch or Smith Barney or or, you know, the elite um, advisor workshops and, and institutions on Wall Street, 
you're paying a premium to be there. And so they're expected to do more due diligence. For example, these, all these spot Bitcoin ETFs were available on Robinhood immediately, Schwab immediately, TD Ameritrade, E-Trade, all the, the normal platforms, they were all available immediately. So the big wirehouses are saying, look, we're not ready to recommend this to our clients. And I think their clients like that for the most part because they think, oh, they're, they're doing some extra due diligence. But I think in reality, what it is, is a chance for them to catch up to uh, Larry Fink, you know, for one, uh, all of a sudden went from very negative, very negative interviews on, on the whole crypto space to all of a sudden, you know, doing a roadshow and, and talking about the, the benefits of Bitcoin. So I think it caught a lot of them off, you know, by surprise. And I think they're going to open up to it, but it's going to take hiring some crypto people. Um, and in, in our world, we're a Bitcoin only shop. So in our world, it's just Bitcoin. We, we really view the investment world through black and white lenses. We see Wall Street, the apex predator asset as being the S&P 500 index. We think most investors would be better off just holding the S&P 500 index. It's beat 94% of its peer managers for the last 20 years. So, and then on the digital side, we think the apex predator asset is Bitcoin and we think it's the clear winner in that space. So that's our focus at this point. But in terms of big wirehouses, they're realizing whatever policy they have with Bitcoin, if the SEC does approve Ethereum or some of these other coins that as securities, then their, their policy has to fit, you know, that new new system that's being approved by the SEC. Interesting. Interesting. So so your these Cyber Hornet ETFs, um, is it one ETF that I can get access to that kind of blends the S&P and Bitcoin? And, and it, you know, what is the, the what is the structure of the ETF look like? Or, or are there multiple ETFs? And if I want to increase my degeneracy or decrease it over time, I can I can kind of um, pick and choose. Like, what does the structure of your three ETFs look like, or your multiple ETFs look like? Yeah, so the first one is 75-25, so 75% S&P 500, 25% Bitcoin futures, by the way, because we rolled this out in December before the spot was available. So we are uh, filing for the ability to use spot in our ETFs. But we're going to have the ability to use both. We're going to, uh, there are advantages to both. And so we want to have the ability to use both in the portfolio, especially if you get um, a hack at a major exchange. Uh, the interesting thing is you can't hack a futures, uh, a Bitcoin futures portfolio. So as critical as owning your own keys are in the Bitcoin world, in the ETF world, you have to remember you don't own your keys no matter what. You know, mm. BlackRock owns your keys. And then you're going to find out as we move forward here why they're lowering the fees so quickly. And and it's a race to zero. It really is. We believe they're going to start loaning out the Bitcoin as uh, to earn interest. And they'll get hundreds of basis points on the Bitcoin. And so we think and, and the reason we believe that is because. That's how all ETFs and mutual funds essentially are run. And if, if you own an S&P 500 index fund, the chances are the company you're using lends out those underlying 500 securities. 
And there hasn't been a crisis where that's ever been a problem in the past, but we've never lent out the underlying securities, even though we could own, we could earn, you know, extra yield for our, our shareholders. We always wanted to own the underlying. So we think a, a new level of these ETFs is going to be who actually owns your private keys. Is it BlackRock or did they lend it out? And that's a, that's a key point. And we can be a key differentiator there because we're not going to lend out any of our Bitcoin shares. This kind of, I got to be honest with you, I'm, I'm maybe, maybe a bit naive, but also shocked about hearing about these potential ETF providers loaning out Bitcoin. I mean, if we haven't learned anything from BlockFi, Celsius, Voyager, FTX and Mt. Gox and a whole bunch of other experiences. It's that, you know, it's not your not your keys, not your coin. Um, and I, I, I am concerned that uh, a number of these larger providers, ETF providers, might want to just kind of attempt to replicate the legacy banking system by fractionalizing and rehypothecating, you know, Bitcoin. And that could create significant problems in the future. Now, it might not, right, if, if the right risk management is in place and all that kind of stuff. But that, as a Bitcoiner, that kind of concerns me a little bit, to be honest. Yeah, it should. And it's you have to realize, though, on Wall Street, that to us, FTX just happened, Celsius just happened, Gemini Earn just happened. So anybody that were in those lending programs got burnt and fried and there's bankruptcy after bankruptcy after bankruptcy that we're aware of in the digital space. But that's not been the case on Wall Street. They've been lending out their underlying securities on ETFs and mutual funds from the beginning. And it hasn't come back to bite anybody there yet. And they claim it's because they have SEC regulation, they're big banks, they um, do it smartly. And so I can't imagine a world where I think that's just too juicy of an interest rate for them to pass up. And I do believe that's why, I mean, just a custody at Coinbase costs as much as a couple of these guys are charging their internal expense ratio on the ETF. So you have to ask yourself, why are they willing to do this for free? Well, nobody does anything for free. Uh, we know Facebook was free, um, but you are the product. We are free. the product. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And so, so what's going to happen in our opinion is you're going to see uh, these big institutions start to lend out. They're going to do it in a they're going to in a smart way, and and it's not going to it's regulated, and so the same issues that happen to FTX and some of these other entities won't be in play. Uh, but rest assured, we don't see. Uh, I've I've been doing Wall Street for thirty years, and I don't. I don't see a way around that. And it excites me because we're going to differentiate where we are not going to take our fees down to nothing and lend out your Bitcoin. You're going to know your Bitcoin is held by our custodian. We'll let you know who the custodian is. We'll have a third party verification source uh, that will post online widgets on our on our website showing exactly how many Bitcoins are in our 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 public key accounts. So there's there's a lot to get excited about here. Um, and a lot to differentiate as we move forward. But remember, it's a brand new product on Wall Street. Yeah, absolutely. Can we um, can we talk a little bit about flows, ETF flows? 
everybody's been watching um, Seffert and, and Blauschhouse and all these guys basically have been getting regular updates. Fred Krueger also provides some good updates. He's He was on our pod as well. Um, what, I mean, you've seen the flows for, you know, over the past kind of 30 days-ish. What's your general view on the flows? Is, has Have the ETFs been a success? Is there still ways to go to prove it out? What do you think? Um, I it's been a huge success. Like anytime you get billions of assets in in the first week is pretty clear that that the demand was sitting there. Now I have I was watching the tape. I did not see a hundred thousand coins go by on my tape. So I actually don't know where they made those trades and why it didn't affect the market uh, as much. Yeah, GPTs, GTBC. Um, had some liquidations, but the purchases were still made. And some were around 100,000 coins on that first day. So I don't know if BlackRock had stockpiled coins and they were able to buy it from themselves or they went to the open market to get them. And I'd be, I'd be interested to know if you know the answer to that or put it out to your listeners because I don't know the answer. I, all the tape I watch, I didn't see 100,000 coins go by on my volume tape. So mm. it's, it's, it, it's a mystery to me. Now, in terms of the price action of Bitcoin, a little bit of a pop and then, boom, went down. And now we're seeing um, some strength again. So I think what you're seeing here is that Bitcoin is going to do what it does and it's not always going to do what you think it's going to do. And I think a lot of us thought when when the ETFs came into the market and BlackRock and Fidelity is behind it, boom, we'd be at 100,000. So the reason we think of 7525 is a good asset allocation for traditional investors. I'm not talking about Bitcoiners. Obviously, Bitcoiners are different depending on their level. You know, they can go from a just a curiosity level all the way up to a religious level. And those are the hodlers. They can hold through almost anything. But traditional investors, if they're down 40%, they're not sleeping at night. So how and, and we do believe the bull cycle is going to be massive for Bitcoin. We we believe in Bitcoin. We believe it's freedom money. We believe it's better engineered currency than the U.S. dollar. We believe it's a great competitor to the government monopoly on money that's out there. And so for about 10 other reasons, we believe Bitcoin is going to be the most talked about brand on Wall Street for the next 10 years. And the ETF companies that are most closely associated with the Bitcoin brand as it moves forward here at the origin state, they're going to benefit the most from this. So, But our goal is only to create Bitcoin strategies for helping investors hold through, let's say we Bitcoin makes it to a million dollars. We want them to be able to hold through. And how do they do that? Because if they just hold 100% Bitcoin spot, most of them are going to get shaken out along the way. They're going to get shaken off when it's down 40% and then buy back in when it's up 40%. And they're going to miss a lot of this bull run. So we're trying to come up with creative solutions. We rebalance monthly. So let's just say, because we do have a 50-50 coming out, but this one's 75-25 that we just launched, ticker symbol ZZZ. And let's say Bitcoin for the month was up relative to the S&P 500. Well, then we'll sell Bitcoin buy the S&P, sell Bitcoin high, buy the S&P low. Conversely, if Bitcoin was down for the month, like the last month, relative to the S&P 500, we, we buy Bitcoin low and we sell the S&P 500 high. 
And we do this 12 times a year. And that dynamic rebalancing will help to reduce that downside volatility. And we have a, you know, a 10 year models that go back 10 years to show what that portfolio would have done. And it basically cuts in half your downside. So instead of like in 2022, when Bitcoin was down 64%, you would only been down 31% if you had a 25% allocation in an S&P 5, in, sorry, in Bitcoin and, and 75 in an S&P 500 index fund rebalanced monthly. And we think that opens up the product to a much wider audience because a much wider audience can be down 31% and still hold that position as opposed to a 64% drop. We think most people are going to get washed out at that point. So, so we, we love the 100% spot Bitcoin ETFs for Bitcoiners, but we think for Bitcoin curious and traditional investors on Wall Street, they just can't handle the volatility yet. It's going to take a while for Bitcoin to calm down before the masses will be able to own it, you know, on a long term basis. For sure. I, I love that that concept of just smoothing out some of the volatility. I, I personally believe as Bitcoin matures as an asset class, once it surpasses 10 trillion and is on the steady march towards 50, 100 trillion I, I think, you know, maybe 15, 20 years from now, we might be surprised with a 5% move, you know, in Bitcoin. For sure. Um, so that volatility is definitely decreasing. But this is a great way to kind of smooth that over in the, in the interim. And it's certainly something I think financial advisors and wealth managers could get their teeth around. Um, and think about it this way. Most of them already own an S&P 500 type investment in their portfolios for their clients or even individual people in their 401k. So... They're already comfortable and familiar with the performance of the S&P 500. Historically, it keeps up with inflation and is basically, you can look at it as a stable coin. That's how we look at it. However, most of Wall Street won't view the S&P 500 um, as a low vol asset class to protect your downside volatility of Bitcoin. What they'll do is they'll, there'll be new ETFs that come out and they'll use treasuries to offset They'll rebalance Bitcoin with treasuries or they'll have long, short strategies. Our competitive advantage is we're using the S&P 500 um, brand name. It's, it's the grand champion of Wall Street for the past 50 years. Um, super difficult to beat over time. I tried to beat it for 20 years, I can tell you. I, you can't beat them, join them, and I did. And then with Bitcoin, the new kid on the block coming to town, coming to Wall Street, clearly the, the winner of the digital space um, to, co- to, to combine the Bogleheads with, with the Cyber Hornet community. The Bogleheads, Jack Bogle, you know, created the index fund and there's a lot of, a lot of Bogleheads out there that just love the idea of not using a, a, a broker and, and the fact that it, it over time has better performance than most money managers. So there's, there's, a, there's a heavy big Boglehead community and we think they're very similar to to the Cyber Hornet community in many respects. So we're trying to combine those two communities. And there's $7 trillion already in uh, S&P 500 indexed ETFs, mutual funds, closed-end funds, and different products on, on Wall Street. So of those, um, which one, how, what percent are Bitcoin curious? Is it 10%, 20%, 30%? It's a massive number, though, and, and that's the target market we're going after. Interesting. I mean, I've got to imagine that we might see something like a replay of what we saw at an individual level with institutions over the next 
kind of five to 10 years. And, and what I mean by that is anybody who jumped into Bitcoin as an individual just took a percent or two and said, well, we're going to see how this tastes. And then after six months or a year, they're like, wait a minute, I'm outperforming my traditional portfolio by a factor of X, Y, or Z. I should go from 1% to 3%, and then 3 to 5 and then 5 to 10 And some of the more degenerate out there are, are you know, heavily into Bitcoin. And I've got to imagine that uh, it, it might be a hurry up and wait situation with investors at the outset where it's like, look, I'm going to allocate 1% to 3% and that's it. But at the end of the year, they're going to look at those returns on Bitcoin versus returns of the rest of their portfolio and go, oh, man, I should have put 10% in, you know, or I should have put 20% in. Um, of course, none, none of this is financial advice, but um, you know, I, I do think it could play out the same way as what we all experienced as individuals, uh, just at a much grander level. Yeah, you know, when Bitcoin first came out, I was trading and I was a trader. I've been a trader for 30 years, so I had three screens up in my office. And I remember putting the Bitcoin uh, chart up on my on my screen, I had lots of lots of interesting charts up, but I had that there since since it was somewhere around one to ten dollars. I watched it break a hundred. I watched it break three hundred. I watched it break a thousand and come back down. Lots of volatility, but my reasoning was that I stayed away from it for many many years because my reasoning was if a coder could create it, then another coder could counterfeit it, and so therefore I'm not gonna I'm not gonna come in. And so at, at some level, um, it was about 2017, I realized I need to do a little bit more, spend a little bit more time on this. And I, I spent the, the 100 hours that I think you need to spend uh, going down the rabbit hole with Bitcoin. And I, I was blown away by the integrity of the cryptography of Bitcoin and how um, how it's it's a bedrock compared to the, you know the, the shaky fiat proof of war nothing backing the paper uh, but our war machine and, and our reputation as a country um, who's not paying its bills by the way trillions of dollars in debt uh, so it got exciting at that point and I realized oh my gosh you know and that was when I made my first Bitcoin purchase. So I think a lot of Wall Street is is way behind. We're still really, really early here. And so these brokers are going, okay, we'll put up 1%. And they're still, they're doing the same thing I did, which is all they've heard are negative things, but their clients are asking for it. So they'll start out with that 1%. But remember that 1%, let's say they have a million dollar portfolio and they, they put, let's just say, um, you know, let's pick a bigger portfolio. We'll go fifty to a hundred thousand dollars. They put a position for the client, and that position's down a fifty percent at some point. The client sees that one item item, so one line item um, return, and they get worried when they see something down fifty percent in their portfolio. So, what our pitch to advisors is: Look, we have a turnkey ETF solution that will help you keep your Bitcoin curious assets in house and limit your downside fiduciary risk by giving them a, a comfortable and simple way to enter the Bitcoin uh, space uh, for investing, for their investor, for their, for their um, clients. And in, in a worst case scenario, if things don't work out for Bitcoin, you're potentially down 25% in that particular portfolio. 
And on the other hand, if it goes to the moon, like the, the bulls are saying, then you can say, Mr. Client, we, we had you exposed to Bitcoin in this very smart way. And, mm. and um, you know, part of our ticker symbol ZZZ is, you know, this is a way you can get exposure to the upside of Bitcoin and still sleep at night because a lot of people can't sleep being down, you know, catch your Z's, you know. So we a lot of people cannot sleep if their portfolio is down 30 to 40 percent and let alone 50 to 60 percent. Sure. You know, um, you, you touched on something that I think a lot of Bitcoiners worry about. So we've got these ETFs that are kind of coming out in the market. They're sucking up the available spot Bitcoin. Uh, pretty soon we're about to have a halving. And, and so the, um, the supply of Bitcoin that, the, that Bitcoin's monetary network kicks out will go from 900 to 450 a day. And I think we're sucking up around 1800 to 2000 a day with the ETFs. All good news for price. However, you mentioned fiscal irresponsibility on the part of the government. And this is an apolitical comment because everybody's doing it, right? Everybody's spending money. Um, what, is there a real concern or should investors be concerned about um, capital controls if the deficit really does get out of hand, if we have some element of, of serious inflation in our particular country and, um, you know, the normal thing for a government to do, which they have done time and time again across the world, is to implement capital controls and lock um, flight from their currency as much as possible. And this happened. We, this happened in, in 1933, April 5th, 1933, with Executive Order 6102 by, by FDR. Could there be another 6102? Should people be concerned about that? Of course, um, we should all be concerned about that, and we we live in a in a free land. The law of the land still gives the final law to the Constitution, and even if laws are passed by Congress, if they fly in the face of the Constitution, they actually aren't the law of the land. And so, I think if you did have, in fact, it was up until the BlackRock filing. It wouldn't have surprised me at all to see a bill hit Congress to limit the ownership of Bitcoin. And at that point, it was my opinion that it was going to go to the states because I think Ron DeSantis in Florida would say, you know, hell no, you can still own it in Florida. I think Wyoming would have said you can still own it there. Montana would have said you can still own it there. And so these different breakout states would be like, okay, the federal government just made it illegal, the, the Congress but we, the states, are going to allow it in, in, within, within our states. And I think that would, have, that would have been a very interesting dynamic. But I think you have to go back to Corey Clipston's win the race to adoption to avoid the war piece from fourth quarter two years ago. Where do we get these 10 million Bitcoiners that will speak up when these politicians start to limit our ability to hold Bitcoin or, or whatever investment we decide we want to hold. And in our opinion, as pure as Bitcoin is to eliminate the third party, you don't want a trusted third party. You want to be able, but not your keys, not your coins. We do understand that. We're trying to get people there. But the key, in our opinion, to mass retail adoption is our ETFs and getting Bitcoin in a QCIP and getting these financial advisors to open up 
their advisory firms to and their clients to holding Bitcoin. And even if it's Bitcoin in a in an ETF or Bitcoin futures, it doesn't matter because if that client is up 40% that year and his Bitcoin spot Bitcoin ETF is his futures a Bitcoin ETF or anything that has Bitcoin in the name, he's going to be a Bitcoin proponent, right? So when these when these politicians run out and try to pass laws to limit it, there's going to be a lot of voices out there. And ETFs are are ubiquitous on most retail platforms and they a lot of them don't even have commission. They're commission free. So it's it's one of these retail um, it's like getting coming out with a product and getting it accepted at Target, Walmart, name name all Costco, name all your major uh, retail centers across the United States distribution all at once, and that's what an ETF you know you get an ETF um, listed on the Nasdaq or the New York Stock Exchange or the CBOE, and and you're you're sitting on one of the most efficient distributions on the planet. And I think that's the key to getting those 10 million uh, Bitcoiner voices, voters, so mm-hmm. that these politicians can't do that. But yes, we need to be very aware that the government could do capital controls like they've done in the past if they feel threatened. And I think that's also another reason why we need um, different custodians for the ETFs and we can differentiate uh, from the Black Rocks of the world. There's, you know, we've been talking to Caitlin Howe's or uh, Caitlin Long's group and Lisa Howe on, uh, you know, their Wyoming trust situation with their Wyoming bank and why that would be advantageous to hold the coins there. And there's other ways that we can differentiate to make this product better. Um, mm. So, yes, I, I do think we need to be well aware of the government jumping in if they feel threatened in any way. Um, I think I think you will see something like that. Question for you. Uh, everybody's got to take a guess. And, and, and of course, this is not financial advice. But if you were to guess what the uh, net inflows would be for all the, e- the big spot Bitcoin ETFs by the end of 2024, would you hazard a guess? How many billion? Yeah, I'm I'm pretty bullish because I think we're going to get a bull cycle this year. So. What you've seen has been relatively muted because it was just the initial demand and then Bitcoin went down. So you didn't have a lot of people rushing in. But if Bitcoin makes a run to 100,000, you're going to you're I mean, you remember what happened when crypto went crazy, right? You know, piece of crap crypto company. Nobody even cared what the prospectus said. Right. They didn't even really have them. They had these little white papers they were putting out. But everyone didn't care because Tron was up a thousand percent from the day before. Yeah. And so everyone just started rushing in. And that was with crap. You know, Bitcoin's got integrity. It's got 15 years of emerging as the clear winner of the digital space. I mean, we've gone from seashells and rocks to gold and silver as currency to fiat paper, not backed by anything. And now we're in the digital era. So digital money is the clear next evolution of money. And Bitcoin is the clear winner in the digital money space. Now, governments are going to create and issue their own digital currencies. 
But Bitcoin is the only citizen-sponsored currency on the market. And right now, it's, it's, it's the grand champion. And so, um, yeah, so what's your number? There's, there's a lot here to talk about. No number. Okay. Um, well, I, okay. I'll, I will say, I will say um, triple. I, I mean, I'll, I would be surprised if we don't have uh, $20 billion in the space by the end of the year. Okay, that is bullish. That would be really that would be considered a huge success. Um, yeah, for sure, for sure. That's that's super helpful. Okay, well, we're just about to close, and I tend to ask everybody the same question: If you had a loudspeaker and you were on top of a soapbox and you could speak to everybody, um, what message around Bitcoin would you want to give them in thirty seconds or less? Yeah, I think Bitcoin is freedom money. I think it's competition it's better engineered currency than than the u.s dollar is and as a new asset class on wall street the bitcoin era is here it's going to in in our opinion replace some of the traditional gold investing that you see out there because gold is just so difficult to to transfer and so bitcoin is going to in our opinion over the next 10 years become a, a mainstream asset class on wall street we're still early. I know it doesn't seem like it, but we're still early and there's still room to get in at the ground floor. And so this is exciting. You all have first mover advantage. Jump in, hold on and make sure you don't go beyond your risk tolerance. Go for strategies that aren't going to sh- shake you out at the bottom and draw you back in at the top. Just hold, hold it long, long term and enjoy the ride. Excellent. Mike Willis, president and co-founder of One Fund LLC, who has just launched the Cyber Hornets ETFs. Check them out. And just as a reminder, what are the tickers for those ETFs? Just right now, it's just uh, the triple Zs. So ticker yep. symbol ZZZ. Uh, we also, uh, and, and so we the, the next couple are coming out in the next uh, 120 days. So Excellent. We'll Stay look deep. forward to watching those. Very cool. Thanks a lot, Mike, for your time. And uh, we hope to have you back on the pod at some point in the future. All right. Thank you, Keith. Great to, great to be here. You too. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Learn more at learnbitcoin.io.